folks. Welcome to another edition of the A to Z Sports Big Orange Podcast. I am Charlie Burse here with my co-host and A to Z Sports Tennessee writer, Zach Reagan. Wherever you listen throughout the world, we thank you so much for listening to us. Zach and I are talking everything balls every week here on the Big Orange Podcast. And if that sounds good to you, make sure that you subscribe to the A to Z Sports Podcast feed over on iTunes and Spotify. We're dropping all the new episodes every Thursday morning. And if you subscribe, you won't miss a single one. Uh, you can follow us on social media at Charlie underscore Burris at Zach TNT and at A to Z Sports on Twitter. Uh, Facebook.com slash A to Z Sports Nashville and A to Z Sports Nashville.com for all the stuff that Zach writes. Today's podcast, as always, is presented by TennesseeTickets.com, the place you should trust with any of your ticket purchases, Vols home and away games, which good news there potentially this week. Uh, concerts at your favorite venues, all with zero hidden fees at checkout, unlike other sites. And right now you can save $10 off every ticket purchase with the promo code AZ10AZ10. That's TennesseeTickets.com. Zach, how are you this week? Just uh, been trying to figure out if Tennessee's going to be on probation soon or not with this hot recruiting streak they've been on. Trying to figure out what's up with that. What is happening? Uh, we talked about it pretty pretty well last week, but the momentum has not stopped. Four more recruit, <laughs> recruits. <laughs> Four more recruits this week uh, committed to Tennessee, a five-star, a four-star, and two three-star players. But one of the three-star players is the highest-rated three-star that Tennessee has so far. That is linebacker Terrence Lewis, running back Cody Brown. That's the five-star and the four-star, respectively. Then Colby Smith, a giant offensive lineman. Then Deshaun Rucker is a three-star safety. Uh, What are you thinking with this recruiting for this week, Zach? I mean, we knew Jeremy Pruitt could recruit. We knew that he had a staff full of great recruiters. But once this pandemic hit and the shutdown kind of happened, I didn't really know what to expect from any any college football team. But somehow Pruitt and his staff have adapted extremely well. And I don't know what they're selling. Um, development, chance to play early, kind of program on the rise. Um, whatever it is, it's working. Because when you land a couple of five stars that Alabama and Auburn and is going after, you're doing something right. And it seems like every recruit in the country – is interested in Tennessee in some form or fashion right now. And it's, it's pretty remarkable. It's interesting, really the momentum, the true momentum that Tennessee has going right now. It almost seems like there is an urgency in these players because they almost think these spots are going to get taken. So Tennessee so far has, I believe 18 recruits in this class, the number two class in America now right behind Ohio state. 18 commits to Ohio State 17 um, and it, it, it does almost seem like these guys are sort of like uh, well they're not gonna have any spots left if I don't go now and uh, maybe it's an element of that uh, I it is something that they're selling for sure be that playing time this this uh, brand brand management I guess is that is that what you would call it where they're really telling these guys you can come here and build your brand uh, we've heard multiple of these guys say that. Um, but it's it's something that's happening, and it is working very, very well 
And uh, strangely, Tennessee beat out North Carolina this week for the number two recruiting class <laughs> in America. Mac Brown. I mean, what is this? 2003? Uh, Tennessee and North and well, Tennessee and Mac Brown back on top of uh, the, the recruiting rankings. It's it's a weird, 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 weird time. It is. It's it's bizarre um it's nice to see Tennessee there at that number two spot but they're gonna have to work harder to hold on to a top five class not so much keeping the recruits that they have have committed right now but they're second because they've got 18 players committed I mean you look at Clemson's number four with 10 players committed uh Florida's got 12 LSU's down the list there at number 11 with only eight commits. So you got to think those teams are going to get up there close to the top five. So Tennessee's going to have to land another, maybe another five-star player, a couple more four-star players to really stay in that top five range. And that's important because without a top five class, you're not going to compete for an SEC championship. Definitely. That's an absolute given. The the teams that compete at that absolutely elite level have elite recruiting classes. And you can point out some exceptions to that. Clemson early on in Davos tenure was kind of like that. Somehow he was getting, you know, more around like the 10 to 15-ish uh, ranked classes and then playing for national championships. But that's out of the norm. Don't bet on that. Have these elite classes. And I got to think that... This one will soon see uh, a trend of guys dropping off the bottom end to make room for guys on the top end. And it's it's something that happens in recruiting that kind of stinks. You know, you always feel bad for those guys uh, where they kind of get told, uh, not sure we have a spot for you anymore uh, like we did before. But it does happen. And generally speaking, it, it doesn't get <laughs> talked about publicly, but it is just something that... <laughs> Uh, that happens and I would not be at all surprised if we start seeing that happen with Tennessee. Yeah that'll be interesting to see if if and when that does happen because I think part of the reason Pruitt has been able to recruit so well is that and we've seen this we've talked about it but over and over recruits talk about trusting Pruitt trusting that he has their best he wants the best for them off the field whether it's at Tennessee or another program they trust that he really cares about them. So if you have a player that you offer a scholarship to and you let them commit and then, you know, a couple couple months before signing day, maybe hopefully it won't be a couple of weeks before signing day because that puts a player in a bad spot. But yeah. you, tell them, you tell them you don't have a spot for them and, uh, you know, how does that affect you down the road? What if that player uh, has a teammate a couple years, you know, a couple recruiting classes down the road that – uh you know, they get a bad taste in their mouth from Tennessee because of something like that. So it'll be interesting to see how Pruitt handles that, given the the reputation he's kind of created for himself on the recruiting trail. There are certainly implications to to anything you do. I mean, you saw that last week with the coach at Florida uh, was popping his mouth off about some of the recruiting that Tennessee was doing, and then some of Tennessee's recruits popped back at him. Um, yeah, and, and players noticed that. Yeah, and, and the players, you best believe this, the players talk to each other, and a lot. Uh, if, if you're in that kind of elite group, some of these guys, they go to camps together, they go to visits together, they end up getting to know each other in these different ways, and they talk. And and make no mistake, if you have a coach who is not well-liked by recruits, that's, that's going to get around. Um, and for 
for whatever reason you do, you have to be careful in that way. And I, it is such a almost normal practice to kind of have guys drop out of classes for different reasons. I, I don't know if one, that's one that would just send you right to the top of the, of the crap list for some of these guys, but it, it's certainly something to consider. Uh, and the, uh, the main thing that was a talking point this whole week was, is this really legit for Tennessee? Be sort of because of what we're talking about, 12, three stars for Tennessee, four, four stars and two, five stars in this class. It's still not in that same level that you're seeing with Ohio state at number one, 11, four stars, three, five stars. Yeah. There's a pretty it's, big gap between Ohio state and Tennessee's right yeah. there. It's similar. But it's not the same. <laughs> uh, and so uh, this conversation was being had uh, around and one of our uh, old, uh, I don't know that I would say friends, uh, <laughs> com- compatriots, Mike Griffith used to cover Tennessee uh, and is a actually a Tennessee guy himself. Um, <clears throat> but he went on Paul Feinbaum's show this week and he now covers Georgia and he was downplaying uh, Tennessee's class, I believe his, uh, his exact quote was this Tennessee is still signing the same caliber of player as last year. They just got them committed earlier right now. It's just good momentum and a lot of positive publicity. (sighs) What did you think of what Mike says here? I wasn't surprised at all because, uh, he is, constantly downplayed anything that wasn't Butch Jones at Tennessee but I I, I can't agree with him he's he's right that they're committing earlier and that is why Tennessee has the number two ranked class right now um it 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 is there's quality but it's also quantity but they're they've got some commitments from players that Alabama Auburn I said earlier the LSU uh has offered and pursued and wanted wanted commitments from these kids. I mean, Tennessee's beating out the best teams in college football for some of these recruits. Um, they're not the same type of players that Tennessee's been signing the past couple of years. They're better. They're more talented. They're faster. They're more athletic. They're the type of players you need to compete in the SEC. I mean, he's way off base thinking it's the same players they've been signing for the last few cycles. I mean, even the last cycle improved from Pruitt's first two cycles um he's been gradually signing better players and get, and getting faster players they're moving the right direction I, I i don't know he just can't say anything positive i guess uh, no and he, he probably never will but the fact is is this the type of players that tennessee has been signing in the last month just specifically in this last month they're the type of players that georgia's signing and that you know mike can talk till he's in the ground about that um about how that's not the case, but it is. It is absolutely the case. To, you know, there were a lot of a lot of teams that wanted some of these guys. Your your Terrence Lewis's and your Dylan yeah. Brooks's. I mean, um, Terrence Co- Lewis, Cody and, Brown too. Yeah, Cody um, Brown is a from Georgia, uh, number eleven players player in the state of Georgia. Uh, Terrence Lewis, number one player in the state of Florida. Dylan Brooks, number one player in the state of Alabama. Julian Nixon uh, from Georgia, wide receiver, number 23 player in the state of Georgia. These are talented players that a lot of programs want. Yes, and I 
I don't know if Tennessee will end this class in that same exact caliber as you, like I was saying earlier, with Ohio State. That's sort of where where essentially every single player in the class is almost in that elite yeah. category. I don't know if Tennessee will reach that with this class, but I think they're going to get closer than they have been. Yeah, I can see they're, like they're number right number six, number seven. I feel like, which is inching towards that top five class, and to ask Pruitt coming off an eight and five year in his second four years to coach to do much more than that's not really reasonable especially like you said the type of player he's recruiting he's not recruiting the same type of player that butch jones recruited he's recruiting bigger players stronger players faster players he's not going to ohio and and the northeast and michigan well he is recruiting the northeast some more now with joe osevet but it's a different type of player that that Pruitt's recruiting than Jones and he's going up against the Alabamas and the Auburns. He's been doing it since he got here, trying to get those types of players, you know, swing and miss. And uh, he's missed on some, but he's hit on some. Yeah. He, he's finally, his hit rate is rising and hopefully it'll just continue with this season. Just keep, keep on the up. I, <laughs> I did see today. Um, I don't know if he's been listening to our podcast, but uh, an, an actual friend in the media of, of mine, John Adams, I know a lot of people are not a huge fan of his, understandably so. He's a controversial guy over at the Knoxville News Sentinel, but he wrote that Tennessee should cancel its game against uh, Oklahoma this season. And we had talked about this last week, and it made me think, you know what? What could make Tennessee? What could Tennessee do in the in the most immediate way to make them look the best? Uh, add more wins to their win loss uh, column, and the way to do that is to get that Oklahoma game off the schedule. Yeah. I think, <laughs> but I think if you did it now, I mean, it's May. Assuming yes, the exactly. season was to start on time, that's that's four months. I mean, that's then you're drawing too much negative attention. I think. Yeah, this is something that should have happened. Yeah, it should have happened. The minute that Pruitt got to campus and saw that game scheduled, he should have been like, nah, that, that's, no, year three, we're going to need that win there. Which is, I mean, I guess in some sense, I, I admire that it hasn't been taken away because he is, uh, in some sense, kind of taking a, a Rick Barnes type of approach where Rick Barnes came in and he said, we're going to play the toughest out-of-conference schedule that I can play put together um and and then you know they did it and and ultimately in his third year that really really paid off tennessee had some excellent out of conference wins um in his third and fourth year but his fourth year was a little bit different tennessee was the number one team in america for a time but and tennessee um, football will be better because of that game there's no doubt in my mind yeah It, it should be if if nothing else i mean if i i i would say you can pull away from it having done well in two ways. One being obviously you win. The chance of that happening in Norman, Oklahoma is just not great. Let's be completely honest. Or you you lose, it's close, and you really learn from it, and then you're more prepared for the Florida game and win against Florida. If it can kind of catapult you in that way, even with a loss, fine. You know, do what you got to do. True. That's kind of like this. But, that's kind of like this past year. Those those two early season losses kind of paved the way to have a winning record in the SEC. You know, does Tennessee finish five and three in the SEC if they 
beat Georgia State and BYU if those games, you know, that, that's a yeah. So that's a trade off you make for sure. Yeah, you trade losing to Oklahoma to beat Florida if you're a Tennessee fan. Yeah, I, I, I think you would. I know I would. <laughs> I would say that. No much. doubt. That SEC schedule matters a lot more uh, than that out of conference schedule. Um, you just might be forfeiting a national championship bid by not winning that Oklahoma game. But uh, nonetheless, uh, having to do with this recruiting, there was some comments made by Daniel Hood, a former player uh, at Tennessee that you had uh, collected up, Zach. And uh, he he had some comments basically comparing uh, what exactly is going on with Pruitt compared to Butch compared uh, to Dooley and Kiffin, because Daniel Hood experienced all three of those guys. Uh, what did he have to say uh, about all of this? Yeah, one of the biggest talking points that you kind of hit on there uh, this week has been, is this for real? Because Tennessee fans have been down this road many times before. New coach, start having a little bit of recruiting success, get your hopes up. Tennessee's on the way back. I mean, me personally, I've, I've wrote the Tennessee's on the way back column. I've been writing it for six years now, so I get it. But it feels different when you see what's going on with Pruitt, the way he's doing it. It just feels different. And Daniel Hood talked with uh, The Athletic this week. It was a, a piece that Joe Rex wrote, uh, wrote about Derek Dooley. And it's, it's worth reading the whole, it's a long column. It's, it's great. But the comments that Hood made, and he was kind of comparing what went wrong with Lane Kiffin, Derek Dooley, and Butch Jones. Because he said he, he played for all three of them. He redshirted under Kiffin, then played under Dooley, and, uh, and played under Jones, was a, a redshirt senior, I believe, under Butch Jones. And it, I, his comments and his comparisons were really spot on. With Kiffin, he said he probably had the most complete program in terms of putting passion for football with intelligence in football, and that's why we played really well and overachieved that season. His problem was that he was immature as a coach, and that made us immature as a team. I mean, at the Chick-fil-A Bowl, we had curfews of 3 a.m. and 4 a.m. because that's what Lane wanted to do as well. And when I heard that comment that Lane wanted to stay out till 3 o'clock in the morning as well, it's... Like, of course he did. That just makes perfect sense. That is uh, it, it, interesting. It it certainly just confirms, I think, what we all thought uh, about Kiffin. I mean, a ton of those stories have come out since Kiffin's time at Tennessee. I mean, he was just that dude. No idea if he still is that guy or will be that guy uh, at Ole Miss. Um, but that is certainly in line with what we saw in terms of, of Dooley and, and Butch, because everybody kind of wants to make that comparison to Butch. Oh, well, Butch had great recruiting classes. Uh, what what well, are Well, he goes from, from Kiffin, you go to Dooley, and they're, you know, obviously Tennessee's going to go a completely different direction, and we all know the problems that coaching search had. But he said Dooley, he felt, was the most professional NFL-style coach, but the biggest mistake he made was not putting together a good strength program. said we were slow as a team. Then moving to Butch, he said, uh, you know, Butch lacked the sophisticated intricacies of the X's and O's. His thing was to out-passion and out-effort people, and that's what his teams did until he lost strength coach Dave Lawson. So it's kind of interesting to see how Tennessee went from young, energetic, to professional, to what, what they thought was passionate 
coaches and then before they kind of finally settled on Pruitt who's more of just like a just a football coach I mean there's no other way to really describe him is he's all about football he is and I'm glad to hear that enough with the gimmicks Dooley was a lawyer literally he was (laughs) Uh, and that was just kind of kind of how he presented himself he was good in press conferences I mean I would say that much Mm. um he, he certainly presented himself well in, in that way and was endearing to whatever extent, uh, but just couldn't come through with the actual coaching chops. Uh, and he was better suited for the NFL in that way, uh, especially recruiting-wise. And then, yeah, Butch, Butch is just a showman. He just he was one thing to the public and another thing behind closed doors, and he sucked out loud. Uh, but I, I like to – I don't see – any of that element in Pruitt at all, and that is extremely encouraging and, and makes me think that this recruiting class is not going to go to waste in the same way that, that those did with Butch. No, I mean, he knows how to re- develop players. He knows the X's and O's. I mean, that was always evident for Butch. I mean, that was – there's four or five games at least under Butch that Tennessee could have won if he would have known how to be in a, a decent in-game coach. I mean – the 2014 Florida game, the 2015 Oklahoma game, well, several games in, in 2015 there. All of 2015. Yeah, the the, that Florida game, game 20, the, Ar- the Arkansas game. Florida yeah, game. there's yeah. – I mean, it, he's completely squandered some really good players. I mean, he recruited some some solid players uh, in 2014 and 2015 and just completely wasted them and – Pruitt, on the other hand, is kind of getting the most out of what he's had on the roster. I mean, the defensive line last year was not a lot of highly touted guys, and they ended up playing really well. This is really what I think back to. You mentioned that 2015 season, and this is why I think, you know, the the Matt Jones at Kentucky Sports Radio of the world <laughs> say, oh, Tennessee will never be elite again, blah, 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 blah. Here's why I think that's nonsense. Because with Butch Jones at the helm, Butch Jones, who we now know is who he is, in 2015, this is how close he was to making the SEC championship game and essentially having uh, in what would have been an undefeated regular season. Uh, had the lead on Alabama late in the fourth quarter. Had Florida beat. Had Oklahoma beat. Alabama and Oklahoma both went to the playoff that year. And... You win all three of those, and then, of course, a 14-point comeback by Arkansas completely. Yeah, they should have won that game, too, easily. Uh, I mean, Tennessee was some 14-point leads over Florida and Arkansas and a fourth-quarter lead over Alabama from being in the playoff. And they they had a, what, 14-point lead over Oklahoma or 17-point lead, wasn't it? 17-point lead over Oklahoma and blew in double overtime. Yeah. Yeah. and and you got to think with just a better coach, oh yeah, to help with those teams, that that team goes at at worst that team goes to the SEC championship game. Yeah, you get Pruitt that team in his third year, and easily they're SEC East champions, and who knows what else. Yeah, I that that's why I say. Don't give me this. Tennessee can't be elite. Butch Jones almost had him at elite, man. That's, That's ridiculous. What, I don't understand some of the 
a lot of like the Matt Jones and and even some of the national media, the skepticism on Pruitt. I mean, here's a guy that's developed some elite players that went on to become NFL stars. Has been a part of multiple national championship staffs. He's done it, been successful everywhere he's been. Coaches respect him. They they he's had coaches leave the NFL to come work with him. He's had a coach leave Georgia to come work with him. He brought T. Martin back. He's brought Jade Graham back from being with Jimbo Fisher for seven years. He knows what he's doing. I don't understand why people are skeptical that that Pruitt can do it at Tennessee. Tennessee has the facilities. They have the tradition. They have the the financial capabilities. They have everything they need to be a playoff team. It's all there. All the resources are there, and Pruitt has the knowledge to make it happen. So I don't understand – why this is such a crazy thought that Tennessee could get back to that level that they were 20 years ago. I I completely agree. And this is completely anecdotal uh, evidence, but this did happen this past week in my mentions on Twitter. Somebody got like way down the rabbit hole arguing with an Alabama fan and that Alabama fan. I mean, they can, you know, piss and gripe all day about how, oh, Tennessee is this and that. But this dude, who was an Alabama fan, was like, well, if Pruitt gets good, we're just going to take him when Saban retires. That was the conversation that they're having. And so I think you got Alabama fans thinking the possibility is certainly there (laughs) that that Tennessee uh, has a legit resurgence. Honestly, uh, I think Alabama fans... I think Alabama fans and maybe even Georgia fans to an extent knew it the moment that he left for Tennessee. They knew that he could kind of turn turn that program around because they saw what he did specifically at Alabama and even at Georgia, but they didn't want to verbalize that in any way. They just kind of went, no, it's Tennessee. It can't happen there. Good luck, you know. But now they're kind of seeing, uh-oh, you know, Pruitt knows what he's doing. He's starting to get the players. He He could make something happen here. Yeah, I mean, they, they can feel those those footsteps coming up. Pruitt has to go out, and he has to prove that he can, you know, get a hold of Alabama uh, and and actually take it to him. But uh, they they can feel it. They can feel the momentum building, and I, I think those guys know so, so well, uh, Saban and, and Kirby specifically, it's all about the Jimmys and Joes, man. Yep. And, and Tennessee gets them. Everything's lining up for Pruitt to start getting those players, and not just Pruitt, other programs in that kind of top 10 range that haven't really been able to get over the hump, maybe a Wisconsin, teams like that. Because with the the player likeness deal, with that being approved by the NCAA, you're going to have a lot of four-star guys. They want to see the field as early as possible. They don't want to go sit at Alabama for two years. They want to get, get that brand developed. And then if the playoff expands – to eight teams or, or whatever it expands to because it's eventually going to. Um, that's more teams that have a chance to play in the playoff. It's more exposure for players. There's more programs that have the opportunity to get there. Kind of gives more programs a better chance to land elite players. So it, it's kind of lining up for Tennessee to, to take advantage of this, and they are so far. Definitely. It, but it, at the end of the day, it all comes down uh, to winning – those games and make no mistake about that. And so 
go out and do it. And maybe Pruitt is certainly making moves to improve his team as fast as possible, obviously taking a look even even this offseason uh, at quarterbacks. I mean, he's kind of testing all waters, um, specifically if you don't want to talk about JT Daniels transfer from USC. Um, and he's he's trying to put it put it together as quickly as possible. I, Georgia and Alabama are, are feeling it. I'm sure Florida, obviously, too. You even saw <laughs> this week uh, there was sort of a semi-viral post that went around from a Florida fan on a maybe 247 Rivals, uh, uh, whatever you call those, the comment tree. Oh, the, the, the message, message board. board. Yeah. Uh, where the guy was uh, – really pissed off where he was just making this comparison just like Pruitt's a real football guy and Mullen is just this and that and Pruitt can actually work with these players where Mullen is. and there was a Florida fan saying that kind of stuff so they're you know they're feeling the heat it is Don't. funny you know that, a lot of people have always compared Dan Mullen kind of his personality to Butch Jones now there's no doubt yeah. Dan Mullen X's and O's is way smarter than Butch Jones was in that area Mullen knows how to run an offense but you kind of wonder about him as a head coach sometimes. His personality is – I could see how it could be off-putting to a lot of players. He was, to me personally, he may end up winning national championships with Florida. I don't know. But I actually covered Mississippi State football uh, when he was there, and specifically the year when they went to number one and had Dak and all that stuff. Um. And he still, even with that great, great team with Josh Robinson in the backfield, and he had some incredible defensive linemen on that team and linebackers. I mean, that team was stacked. He still made calls with that roster where you were just like, what are we doing? What he's He would just get cute, and he uh, yeah, can be boneheaded, call, call in place sometimes. Um, and so he, to me... He really is just kind of uh not not Butch Jones 2.0 like uh the the better ver an elite version of Butch Jones. If Butch Jones right. was just better. <laughs> so I, I I am just like I am completely on board with that actually. Some some people are like, great. no, he's not like Butch Jones. Uh, personality wise he is Personal, yeah. He's and so then corny. On X's, X's and O's, he does leave some to be desired. Maybe he is getting better, and maybe it will lead to a national championship. I don't know. But I know back then when I was doing that, uh, I, I would say this. Better play calling, that team beats Alabama and probably plays for a spot in the national championship. Mm. But that's, you know, I don't know. It's not up to me. But well, As a uh, side note there, because we've never discussed this, how did you feel when Mullen's name was in the mix for the Tennessee job there late uh, in 2017? It would have been an immense improvement over Butch. There's no doubt about that. So I was like, well, if Mullen is going to be the guy, absolutely bring him in. I I definitely felt that way because it is an improvement without a doubt. I mean, he's a guy that took Mississippi State to number one. He, you know, he's been there, done that, knows the SEC, has recruited it, has, you know, he's obviously won national championships as a coordinator of Florida. And so I would have been fine with it. I like in general, and I didn't know this would be the case before he actually got hired and we really got to know him. I like in general Pruitt's countenance, his personality a lot Yeah, he more. fits a lot better. Yes. Tennessee 
needed a football dude to come. Yeah. The the only way that it could have been better, in my opinion, is if he was a Tennessee guy. It's weird that he's an Alabama guy, like a lifelong uh, from well, Alabama. Coach yeah, he is. Alabama. He is a very. I was going to say Cutcliffe's an Alabama guy too, but not True. to the extent that Pruitt was an Alabama guy. Pruitt is a dyed in the wool, like from cradle to grave kind of Alabama guy. But where. With- with that said, circling back to the Alabama fans talking about taking Pruitt, it, if Saban retires and he proves to be good, uh, you know, that'll definitely be a huge concern. It, it, Clemson fans will be concerned, too, with, with Dabo. But, you know, I'm not sure that either one of them would want to go to Alabama and take over for Nick Saban. I mean, how – if you don't win no, six national championships, you're a failure. If you only win one, you could be viewed as a failure. I mean, that's yeah, you're, like – you're walking. You're walking into Holly Warlick's shoes in that case, where I mean, you have to follow the legend of legends. Yeah, and it's impossible. It, it makes me think of when uh, when Dean Smith retired from from UNC. He handed the job to his longtime assistant Bill Guthridge for I think of maybe two seasons. I don't know. And and when when Guthridge had his run, I think he took the, that team to a Final Four. You know, their first call was obviously to Roy Williams, and Roy was still at Kansas and said, no, you know, I'm not, I'm not taking this job. And I think Matt Doherty got the job. He was terrible. And then Roy Williams comes to Carolina when it's like, okay, Tar Heels here have been terrible for a couple of years. I can, I can step in here and and make my own name. I mean, that's the kind of situation you'd have at Alabama where I just don't see a Pruitt or, or especially a Dabo wanting to leave when they built something and go, follow that even if it is their their alma mater it's it's a tad different but Dabo at Clemson strikes me similarly to Mark Few at Gonzaga where certainly before he got there Clemson was not some kind of powerhouse or any you know by any stretch right and and Gonzaga is certainly a lot smaller with less resources. I mean, Clemson is in the ACC. But it's a situation where you look and you say, okay, well, Mark Few could, you know, to tomorrow a team in the SEC that's in a more prominent, technically more prominent league and position, you know, they would take Mark Few in a absolute second and pay him huge top dollar. But why, why would he ever leave there? He has an absolute powerhouse rolling year over year at Gonzaga. He doesn't need your help and your money. And Dabo has that thing steamrolling. Mm-hmm. Why would he go to Alabama and oh, yeah. have suddenly have those expectations thrown on his back? What he I, To me, what he would be thinking is, I'm about to run college football. Like, if Alabama's gone... <laughs> who who are they competing against? Yeah. Who is Clemson competing against at that point? You know? And so I I, yeah, think I definitely think those Alabama it. fans are like, oh, we'll get Dabo because he worked here one time. Nah. No, no, no. I don't think he will. But Pruitt, Pruitt would probably be more likely for that reason and because he, he was a Saban guy, so he could he, his transition into that would be a little more seamless because he comes from that same coaching tree where, where Dabo is never coached under Saban. I mean he was a he, I, he played there in the in the 90s and was a graduate assistant there in the late 90s, early 2000s or something. So he's never crossed paths with Saban. It's a completely different style. Yeah, I, I don't see it. Uh, 
But yeah, like as you did say there, it probably does lead more to Pruitt. If Pruitt does get things really rolling at Tennessee and Alabama comes calling, it it might because I don't think Dabo's going to happen. But uh, Dabo, Dabo, what do you call him? Dabo. 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 Yeah, yeah it's Dabo. Yeah. We had that conversation on Swain event all the time because I said it wrong. <laughs> it's not Dabo. Uh well, either way, we'll uh, we'll wrap this up uh, with just a, a, a fun one and then some talk about will college football return some potentially more good news this week. But you had a funny thing that I that we wanted to talk about. Um, you put out on Twitter this little inquiry. You said, if anybody on Tennessee's football team were to be nicknamed the Murder Hornet, which, uh, as I think a lot of people saw this week, was a story that came out. The the murder hornet, a species of hornet that comes from Asia that can potentially kill humans with a sting, uh, although it is very, very rare. Um, it, it can now be found in America. So that's really fun. And you put out, who would be the murder hornet on Tennessee's football team? Uh, so what uh, conclusions did you come to from that tweet? Well, there uh, the biggest... There's lots of repeats of names. Um, there was lots of Eric Gray's, um, yep. the uh, Nico Slaughter. I uh, guess the incoming who already has a good name, and why would He's you want to? Yeah, I mean he doesn't need a nickname. Just roll with that. Uh, maybe the funniest response I saw was Jarrett Jarrett Garantano. He doesn't. Uh, he doesn't kill hives. He kills drives. <laughs> And uh, that's kind of going oh, the opposite direction, but that's uh, that's rough. I I think um, it's got to be a defensive player, though, right? I mean, I, I like Eric Gray. I, I I love watching him play. I think he's in for a big year, but I think it has to be a defensive player, specifically uh, a defensive back, a safety. I mean, that's when I think murder hornet. I think somebody that that's hitting hitting somebody in the open field, playing like honey badger or something i mean that's kind of what i was getting at when i asked the question yeah i i would say the the first person that came to mind was definitely eric gray just for because he's he's small he's kind of buzzy the way that he zips up field um but henry toe man he will crush yeah. you he's all over the field um that was sean lawrence has game. has that potential coming in i mean he's yeah. he was a borderline close to a, a five-star player. I mean, he's a high-rated four-star. I think he's going to be a really good safety. Um, could see him being all over the field, that type of player. Either way, I think the the, the murder <laughs> hornet will be presenting itself uh, this year, whoever it may end up being. Maybe it's uh, like a, well, I guess it, it doesn't really fit the position all that much, but like a Josh Palmer. Somebody who could really come through big time. Hey, if, it, if um, the name sticks, if they do something and it just flows and it works, then as long as they give us some credit for it, it started here, <laughs> then then we're roll, we'll roll with it. Yeah, I, I, I'm all for it. But then I, uh, I have my own Twitter question that I asked tonight, actually, right before we got on, because uh, this... This came from this question arose from some comments made uh, by the athletic director at South Carolina, Ray Tanner. He let's see exactly what he said. This was from Josh Kendall at the athletic. 
South Carolina AD Ray Tanner says social distancing will be in place at Williams Bryce Stadium and other venues. We are running models to see what kind of attendance we could have. That would be interesting, and we can talk about that in a second. That got me thinking, what are some of the measures they would have to take? So are they thinking, like, have everybody wear a mask in the stadium? Because that's that's kind of become the, oh, you won't give it. You may have it, but if you wear a mask, the chance of you giving it to someone else is lower. You know, yada, yada. And so uh, I asked just on Twitter, if you had to wear a mask at every single game this year, would you do it to have football in the fall? And to my surprise, there were people that said no. <laughs> uh, 14% actually to 86%. And I don't know. I mean, I want to hear from those people that said no. None of them really commented. But a lot of people were like, I would literally give my firstborn child, please, just anything at all. Uh, I would do anything to have football in the fall. But Zach, would you go... For fo- I'm talking, I, I should have phrased this question a little bit better because I got some responses from people that were like, I will wear it into the front gate, then I take off the mask immediately. No, no, no. That's not what I'm asking. I'm saying, would you wear a face mask for five hours and go watch a football game with a face mask on the entire time? Like, you take it off, you get kicked out of the game, which mm-hmm. I don't think it's not enforceable like that. But that is the question. That's the way I wanted to frame it was like, you have to wear it the entire time. Uh, would you do it? Man, that, it would be tough to sit there and wear it for five straight hours. It's one thing to go to the grocery store, but, you know, I definitely don't want to not see football. Um, And if I have the opportunity to go to a game this fall in person, which at this point, you know, that's an option every fall. And now when it's not, you really want to go even more than you normally would want to go. I mean, I'd probably do it just to go. I mean, there's no if you have no other option and you have to wear it, and that's what we have to do to have football, then I think everybody should be on board with that. It might not be what you want to do, but if it's what you have to do to have football, I mean, you got to do it. Exactly. And and that's all I think about it. And, and even, obviously, what Ray Tanner said where they're talking about uh, capacity caps, potentially, where he said we're running models to see what kind of attendance we could have. I mean, does that mean something like, yeah, how would you even do that? So the, w- the way that Neyland is set up, you have from the vast majority of the stadium is just these bleacher seats that are extremely close together <laughs> yeah. that you can fit in uh, 102, 455. Which Kirby Smart has made little quirks uh, about before. <laughs> Kirby can kiss. Yeah. Uh, but um, maybe you say only this certain amount per row. You spread it out. You say only... 10 people per row instead of 15, and then maybe every other row is empty. I don't know. This is Nobody has said this. This is completely just out of my own head. Is that even like – you got to think of the finances there too because is that even feasible? Because you're essentially cutting out 50% capacity there if you're going every other row is empty. It's 50% capacity. You have to give up people that paid for – potentially people that paid for season tickets – and, and things like how – or you could just prioritize the people that pay for season tickets and have less single-game tickets. Um, and then also you have people in the stadium, so you got to open concessions, but is 50% capacity enough to cover the expense that the concessions cost mm-hmm. you? You probably wouldn't have all the concessions of, open. 
Yeah, probably not all of them, but <laughs> also to, to pay general staff for getting people in the stadium. I mean, I, I think they're gonna they're gonna selling, have to come up with some. If you're selling but, alcohol, social distancing's almost out the window immediately. Yeah, um, I think I think we're gonna probably see that if you have fifty percent capacity, fifty percent of the people are just at just as much risk that they would have been with a hundred percent capacity. It's just instead of 104,000 people, 102,000 people at risk, you've got 51,000 people at risk. Well, and you still wonder that there have been studies that have come out now. I actually, I retweeted one today. Let me see if I can find it. Yeah, here it is from uh, Scott, Scott Gottlieb, the FDA commissioner, whoever he is. Um, he said, studies suggest that activities held outdoors as temperatures warm pose lower COVID risk than those done in confined indoor spaces. As we reopen, states should look to ease rules to allow more recreational and business activities to occur outside. And the football season is warm until, I would say, the end of October, generally speaking. Now, not in the north. That's exclusive to the south at Neyland Stadium. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you would have 60 to 70 degrees at least, probably through the end of October, um well that's a clay travis mentioned i think earlier this week a a smarter move would be to start football season in july i mean yeah Mm -hmm. and then you're finished in what october i guess or or the regular season just two months early so um but you would have to start still you're You have to start fall camp in June, June first. Three basically. weeks, <laughs> three weeks from yeah, now. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you, you would, you, you're. I mean, it's not feasible to happen now because players would have to have been on campus basically May first to go through what we've pretty much the consensus is they need a month of kind of in the weight room before fall camp. You know, it's kind of two months to get to get game ready, um, especially not knowing if you half your team's been able to even work out or, or, or has access to equipment. I mean, but that, yeah, that would be a lot safer if, if that's the concern, the cold weather, because if you do start in, uh, in, in early September, yeah, those games are fine. You're in Neyland stadium and it's a thousand degrees on a September afternoon there. It's miserable. Uh, but when you get to November, it's, it's also miserable, but it's the other way around. Yeah, it turns freezing there near near the end of the season, and of course, basketball season is a whole other thing. That's of course all indoors, and so huh, I I don't know uh, exactly how that might play out still. But uh, the you, probably the best news is that Tennessee announced that they intend to have classes um, and and have full students on campus ready to go in the fall, and I think to have football happen that has to happen period and so um tennessee is on board there's only a couple sec schools that haven't announced that yet tennessee was one of the last ones actually um and so i think if if nothing else you may not get all other conferences on board it looks like some of the the non-power five are kind of inching away from it um but it it seems like they're going to try to push it it's such a money maker could have a could have a scenario kind of like baseball where baseball is going through all these crazy different switching divisions up and, and kind of like the NHL has done too, talked about 
uh, just kind of getting creative. Maybe the maybe these things go to where non-power five conferences aren't playing. Maybe it's an SEC only schedule. Maybe it's a shortened season. Maybe they're playing. Maybe Tennessee plays every SEC team or something. I mean, maybe they – I don't know how that would work or if it's even possible or if it would even be discussed, but they're going to do whatever they can to play. So I'm sure they'll explore every avenue if you have teams kind of pulling out of games. If UNC Charlotte decides they're not going to play Tennessee this year. See, I – and this is why I think it may end up being – more of a uh, the season gets pushed or moved to a different uh, maybe not a different season a different month just starts at a different point I, I don't know there's been different things where people are saying oh they could start in November which that makes no sense to me because then yeah you're right in the cold uh, but then maybe like a February was what uh, Chris Fowler had said might might be uh, which to me this is why this would make sense to me so you have Trump was talking this week about how they are pushing and pushing and pushing for this vaccine. And there, there is definite talk that one could be ready for a, a decent amount of dissemination by the fall, sometime in the fall. So I don't know if that's September, if that's November, but that's where they're like really shooting for it. And so if you have that, potential vaccine ready at that point you could say okay by february a ton of people are going to be inoculated and so we can move it to then have a bunch of people packed into stadiums at that point hey let's go and do it and maybe that's the strategy that they're kind of waiting for uh for that thing treatments whatever it may be herd immunity i don't know Um, well i mean what sweden's supposed to get to herd immunity soon because of the way they approached it and i know we didn't have the same approach as sweden obviously but we still had a lot of people exposed to it and we're finding out every day that there's more people exposed to it than we realized yeah you're talking in i mean in the epicenter some of those numbers have come out like a quarter of the people in new york city have had it so and you gotta get to what 60 percent to have herd immunity is that the the magic number but of course, when you get up, I think when you get up to those upper registers of like fifty percent of the population that's had it, then uh, you know I think things start slowing down because fifty percent of the population can't isn't getting it. Yeah. So that's fifty percent of all people that are good. Um, well, at some I point don't... we have to look start stop looking at total number of cases and start looking at just how many are hospitalized, how many deaths and, and just focus on those numbers and where they're happening uh, specifically who, if they're at risk, this and that. And at some point we have to live with the virus because it's not going to just completely disappear. So at some point we have to make that decision because even with the vaccine, you don't know how effective it's going to be, how, yeah, it could be like the flu, where it's different strains, and you don't know if you got the right one. There's so many different variables. And you may not, it, it may be something where you have to get it mul- multiple times because it has the potential for a resurgence in countries where, you know, people can't get vaccinated or haven't get, you know, the, there's a whole bunch of different possibilities there. Um, but I, I do think that it gets you 
it gets you to the point where the death rate and things like that wouldn't cause people to have fear to leave their house. That's the whole thing. <laughs> That's where we need to get to. Um, and and hopefully that does. I, I said it last week. I mean, I believe in the scientists that we have. I mean, it's every top-notch scientist on planet Earth just plowing towards this thing. Surely we we can find something. Um, and kind of what you're you're touching on there and we've we've talked about before i don't think there's at at a certain point there's gonna be no way to go but through because if you just keep all this stuff locked down i mean there's gonna be no businesses to to come back to a lot of people don't like to to hear that and i'm certainly not in the let's pop it all back open right now and start coughing on everybody i'm not on that train but fact the fact is (laughs) this is a society will come unwound at the seams I mean, you can't, I mean, we can't have that happen. And so, um, I, I don't know at all what that will look like. I think we have these, these visions in our brain. I mean, I had, I had visions of what it would be like at this point and it wasn't at all what has really kind of come to transpire. I don't even know what it was necessarily. I, I think a lot of us early on in the pandemic, I think we all thought that there was going to be, you know, every hospital in the place was going to be overrun and, there was going to be bodies lying in the street. That's what we got told. And that didn't end up happening. So, uh, you know, who knows what it's going to be like at that, at that point, it's just a waiting game. Yeah. I'm kind of like you, uh, I, I envisioned what it would be like. And I really can't remember either what I thought, but I know I've just given up on even trying to figure it out. It's just like, okay, well, let's see what this week is and and what next week is and, and go from there because there's no point in trying to predict this. anymore because nobody knows no not at all uh and so that's that's really the the bulk of it we've already uh, i don't even know what kind of time we have under our belt here oh 54 minutes so that's that's a podcast it is we got uh thanks for everybody's feedback on all of our tweets uh everybody that that tweeted in about whether they'd wear a mask and who might be the murder hornet on Tennessee's football team. Um, and uh, thank you so on. much. It, it will. It will. We we will, if nothing else, you and I will make sure that it catches on. Um, but uh, if nothing else, that's that's it for another week. Zach, your parting thoughts. Uh, just excited to see if Tennessee lands any more recruits this week. There's, a, I think, somebody coming up on Sunday. There's a four-star linebacker, Aaron Willis, I believe is his name, uh, announces uh, Sunday at, at noon Eastern time. So we'll see if Tennessee gets keeps that uh, momentum going. But just hopefully we find some more news out about fall sports uh, this week and more places opening up. Yes. Oh, and this – for anybody that wants to watch sports, I saw this today. I believe it's May. Some, if you've seen this, correct me if I'm wrong. Something like May 15th, German soccer officially back on. Yeah, it got green lighted by the government. Uh, they are they are a go. So we're gonna see. We're gonna actually have a living example in a first world country of what sports without. Well, there's been like. some. Uh, there's some Korean baseball happening right now already. ESPN is. Oh, that's true. They're, they're in but, the middle of the night though. It's like or five yeah. o'clock in the morning. So I have not seen any of that. I wanted, I wanted to watch it, and I looked at. I was like, oh man, it's coming on ESPN. I looked at the schedule. It was like two a.m. Yeah, it's like <laughs> it's I'm like, not going to record it and watch it the next day. I'm not watching tape delayed <laughs> Korean baseball, but I would watch it if it was live. Like I in did, a normal I hour. 
yeah, I, I mean, I saw some highlights, and that's that's doable. It's not obviously it's not as fun as having a giant crowd there, but uh, you know what? To be able to watch live, meaningful sports between two teams that are you know battling out over the passion of the game, I, I'm could not be more for and it. I, so I think I think NASCAR returns at the end of this month to to no fans or yes. May May seventeenth maybe somewhere in there. NASCAR return. Uh, May 17th, Sunday, May 17th at Darlington Raceway. It will serve as the first seven races over seven races over an 11 day span at two racetracks. Wow. Hmm. Uh, That's probably their lower level races and and all that going on too. Well, it's interesting. And they, they are, I, and I bet this sets a standard for sports leagues. NASCAR has fines for failures to comply with COVID-19 safety guidelines. Hmm. I'm sure they'll hand some of those out. <laughs> they got to make money somehow. Um, it will result in a fine of $10,000 to $50,000 if breaking specific uh, guidelines, which include everyone in the infield wearing a mask and social distancing mandates. Huh. Well, there's that. Um, okay. I'm not a, not a NASCAR job at all. Probably have that on, on just so just because it's a live sport. Exactly. It's live sports. I want to see it. <laughs> that's that is the long and the short of that. But uh, that's all for this week. Thank you so much to everybody who is listening, downloading. You're you're too kind to us again. I'm Charlie Burris. That's Zach Reagan at Zach TNT on Twitter at Charlie underscore Burris for me at A to Z Sports uh, on Twitter and Instagram. Facebook.com slash A to Z Sports Nashville. Go subscribe, rate, review if you would like to. Do whatever you want to do over there at the A to Z Sports podcast feed on iTunes and Spotify. Otherwise, I believe that's it, and we'll see you all next week. See you guys. If it's love.